Welcome to The Breadwinners, the podcast about the never-ending hustle and its impact on all aspects of our lives. We're interested in what it takes to keep everything going. I'm Jennifer Owens. I write about working, wellness, and women, and founded the Working Mother Research Institute. And most days, I'm joined by my co-host, Raquel Ellison. On this episode of The Breadwinners, I'm joined by Daisy Dowling, founder and CEO of WorkParent, training and coaching firm for working parents and their employers. Daisy's background includes stints in global talent and leadership at Fortune 500 companies. And today she's here to talk about her new book, Work Parent, The Complete Guide to Succeeding on the Job, Staying True to Yourself, and Raising Happy Kids. It's rooted in a simple and bold vision that we're going to get into today. So I say, welcome, Daisy. Thank you so much for having me. So at the Breadwinners, we often like to start with a stat. Our conversation is super easy because it's the one I pull out all the time, which is 73% of women with kids under the age of 18 work and 55% of moms are working full time. And I suspect you know that number too. So I wanted to get right into it, into the vision for all of these, you know, and it's not just the moms, it's the dads too, but what is the vision for working parents? Yeah. So I think that's an, a really important stat. And I'll start by sharing one of my own or one of my favorites, which Ooh, is- A tit for tat. I love it. Bring exactly. it on. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll see you and I'll raise you, which is that there are 52 million Americans who are working parents. So wow. men and women who are in the workforce and who are taking care of a child or children at home under the age of 18. That's an incredible number. It's, it's huge, huge. And as we think of what we've just been through the, through the pandemic, if you're feeling a little alone or isolated right now, don't. You are not. You are not alone. Oh my goodness. Absolutely not. But to answer your question about the vision and how I think about working parenthood, I have dedicated my career to seeing that all working parents can succeed on the job, whatever success means to them. Yeah. While remaining authentic and true to themselves, being themselves, and also raising happy, terrific kids. Wow, that that's that's a shocking vision. <laughs> it is. I think sometimes, and let me add, I'm a working mother myself, so I'm well acquainted with a lot of the day in, day out of working parenthood and how it can leave you feeling like you're on your back foot. But I think that's the future picture I'd love us to all have in mind. Well, and I'm being silly, but it is truly, it's a simple statement that it seems so hard to get to, you know, like, especially because even in those 52 million, and I felt this way, especially with baby number one, you really do feel like you start from zero. I don't know what it is in our heads. We feel like we're the only one experiencing this. And years in, I have teens now, I think, oh, I see the tribe. I also ran Working Mother Magazine, so I was conditioned to see the tribe. But sure. when you are a new working parent and those early years, you really do feel alone. I don't know if it's hard coded in us. It's certainly cultural. Don't you think that because that, you go to work and you may not see yourself reflected clearly, you have to kind of go looking for the other working parents sometime at work. You do. There's a really important phenomenon happening here, which I see with so many of my coaching clients, which is that every single one of us is working hard, right? And we take rightful pride in that and in doing our jobs well, being there for our colleagues, building our expertise, etc. And we have a, I can do this mentality. And when we become working parents, it's not like a tutor or trainer or, you know, something just shows up in your house or in your workplace 
to help guide you through it. You don't have a lot of insight or institutional kind of knowledge about how this whole working parent thing works. And the natural thing, because you are a hard worker, because you're committed to your job, is to say, I can soldier through this. I can figure it out. And that's a good instinct in many ways. Yeah. But it also, I think we need to move past that and say, let me talk to as many other working parents as I can. What wisdom is out there? What tricks and techniques and advice can I access from the hard-won wisdom of other parents and start incorporating that into the playbook I'm going to create for myself here? Which lovingly leads us to the book Work Parent, because it reads a little like the parenting guides that we all bought when, we, when you know, our babies were little babies. You know, what is impetigo? What is, you know, <laughs> when the rash looks like this. And I love that kind of setup because that kind of encyclopedic, you know, I just need to get a question answered. Could you, <laughs> could you just help me? What was the thinking behind organizing the book? Yeah. So I was working as an executive coach and I loved my career and had, you know, put my all into it. And I became very concerned slash frustrated that I didn't have any advice to give people. I could talk to them about career stuff, but I I couldn't give them advice about how to combine children and career. Mm, And then nine years ago, when I became a mom, I literally said, well, there must be a guide to this. And I bundled (laughs) my daughter into her stroller and pushed it down. We lived very close to the Barnes and Noble flagship store here in Manhattan. I pushed her down and I said, great, where's the guide? I just assumed that there was like a Rick Steves, you know, working parenthood (laughs) through the back door someplace that I could access. Make sure you get to the store early because you'll beat the line. He always, that's what he always does. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, so, but I, I couldn't find it. And so I thought about this book as something that would that would meet parents where they were really living, whether that's you're thinking about becoming a parent, you're an aspiring parent, whether that's you have a teenager, whether that's you're grappling with the decision to change jobs, you're interviewing, how do you think about that as a parent, Mm -hmm. to how do I get dinner on the table after a long day at work? Just all of it. And I I wanted it to be the kind of thing that, I mean, I wrote this book very selfishly in a way because I wanted to read it myself. But I wanted it to be the kind of thing that I could keep on my nightstand and say, I'm not sure what to do here and open it up and, and have some non-judgmental advice. Which is always the best. I mean, we're bringing enough judginess in our own, you know, internal voices. So we, we bring that to the table already. We're good for that. We don't need extra. <laughs> we, we got plenty of that. We're Agreed. really good. Well, so now you identify some core challenges that working parents are facing right now. So can we talk about a few of them? Yeah. So for many years in my coaching, I had sort of realized that there are five key challenges that parents face. And I've written about this. I don't go through it in the book, although a lot of the book is based around this this set of ideas. But there are really five different ways in which working parenthood is hard. And as soon as we can bucket those and understand those, it allows us to take some actions that make those easier, that make it better, that allow us to move forward. So the five different areas are transitions that can be anything from going back from parental leave to the transition we're all facing right now as we think about the new normal, but it can be, you know, when your kids get out of school for the summer, you start a new job. Right. It's practicalities and logistics. So that's everything from laundry to carpool to, you know, can I leave work a little bit early to get home because my partner can't cover for me this evening? It's just all that day-to-day sort of operations. 
There's communication. So how do you talk about your working parent needs with colleagues, with your manager, with somebody who's interviewing you? And then how do you talk about your professional responsibilities and the time that requires with your five-year-old who's really disappointed that you're looking at your email on a weekend because you've got a work crisis blowing up? Right. Then there's loss. And, and I, you know, that's a very blunt label, but I use it that sense that we all have of, oh my gosh, I, oh yeah, I was at work when the baby took her first steps or, you know, I'm working really hard, but gosh, am I, you know, I've tried to get more flexibility and maybe I said no to that big project and am I losing out professionally? So it can go in both directions. Like reflecting on me as a great employee because I said no to something, you know, that, Exactly. Am I, am I losing out here? And then finally, there's the identity, sort of who am I? If I was always the hardest working person and the most responsive prior to the arrival of my first child, well, what's my brand now? Who am I? And am I really a devoted mother if I'm working 11 hours a day because that's what my, my job, my role, my function requires of me? So when we see those five different categories, we can then begin to use some techniques and tools and strategies that help diffuse them. I have a book that I love. Oh, his name escapes me. It's a 30, 60, 90 day plan. It's, you know, anytime you're starting a new job, I go back to it every time I start a new role, how to get early wins and how to have conversations. Michael Watkins. Michael Watkins and how yes, to, you know, yes. identify and how to have the conversation to figure out who truly has power in his organization and all that sort of jazz. And I use it because I need that structure when you start a new job. It's a huge transition. And I like that framework to take, oh, I'm at this point. Oh, this guy is this guy. I like the organizing. Maybe it's my brain, like bucketing this moment of this humongous change in in your life that's going to be with you for the rest of your life because you're going to be a working parent forever. (laughs) It's gonna, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and give you structure on how to say, oh, this is transitions. Okay. So this is the problem I'm having in this transition. What do I do about it? What are the skills I need? That I love it. I think it's particularly important right now for all of us to try to break the problem that we're facing, which is we've been through a pandemic. We're working parents. We're tired, right? We're tired. We're a little bit ground down. We're asking ourselves lots of questions and we're facing the quote unquote new normal, whatever that looks like or whatever it might look like for you and for your organization. Making that pivot and summoning up the energy to do that feels like it's just one big sort of hazy problem and you're not sure where to start. Yes. When we can thin slice things and say, all right, I'm not sure how to do all of this all at once. Right. But let me bring back to my identity. Let me restake who am I and how do I want to be known professionally? Right. And who am I as a parent? And then maybe you can, you know, start thinking about some techniques for communication, for example. It just it's a way to step forward. I love it. it if you don't know where you're going, that's where you, you know, you'll get nowhere. You right. know, one of those terrible those idioms and parables that yeah, defining it. And then acting on it. You know, let me put the other things away. You know, I, yes, the hazy vision, because it's so unwieldy, this new stage of life you're in. And it changes. One of the most exhausting parts of the pandemic, outside of the health part and fear part, has been the transitions. I just feel like, as a parent, as I, I get my therapy session here, they're constantly, are the schools in? Are they out? Should we prepare for summer? I don't know. Should we do it? That we could never... One of the ways I was able to work 
and have children and feel fairly on solid ground was that I had a good childcare situation. I was in an elementary school. I, we transitioned, you know, there was those smaller transitions of new life stages, but I always knew what the childcare situation was. And I was one of those people who would have summer camp planned by December because it's the only way I could work is if I had it mapped out. It just allowed me to think about other things. I think this pandemic, one of the most grinding parts of it is never knowing, at least in New York City, you know, the schools are in, the schools are out. Now they're, they're closed for COVID. Now they're open and transition is never ending. It is. That's been particularly difficult. And in my coaching sessions, a few of the things that I do with the moms and dads I'm working with, one is to have them think back to transitions they made pre-pandemic. So every working parent, as difficult as transitions are, every working parent has weathered transitions and gotten through them and done them well. That's, you know, everything from the return to leave to taking on yeah. new responsibility or joining a new team at work. And if you think back to what allowed you to get through those transitions, maybe you're the most organized person around and you keep everything in an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> Or maybe you maybe. have, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> talking for a friend, maybe. Um, <laughs> or maybe you have a great group of, you know, working parent peers or mentors or friends on Facebook who help yeah. give you pep talks and bolster you through it. So think about what your playbook for past transitions was yeah. and take some satisfaction and sense of accomplishment in having gone through those and then bring that to the transitions you're facing. and then. Think about taking them in really small bites. So if you think about the remainder of 2021 and all the different working parent transitions that you may have to make, getting out of school for the summer, going back in the fall, going back to an office or workplace or not doing that or work, you know, changing jobs, that's going to be overwhelming. Instead, if it sounds like I'm saying just, you know, stare at the ground right in front of you, that's not exactly what I want. But I think if you can say, all right, in the next two to three weeks, what do I have to do to keep myself on track? In the next two to three weeks, my job is to call 10 different prospective daycare centers that we may be interested in going into because we have to restart because now I'm going back into the workforce. Or over the next three weeks, my job is just to um, make certain that my kids are aware of and used to the not in school on summer yeah. break routine. And if you can do that, if you can thin slice, again, it just makes things less daunting. I think so, because it's it's the, especially at this moment where we're at, where we can look back and think, oh my goodness, it's been like, a, you know, it's going on a year and a half of this. You kind of get lost in the, the, and so what does the next year and a half look like? And it can spin you out of control. I am totally talking about myself. <laughs> so I'm just <laughs> Yeah, I, but talking about all of us, because- we all feel the same way. One thing that has been really, I used to be surprised by this and I'm not surprised by it anymore. But one thing that's been very prominent throughout the pandemic that I've seen with all of my interviewees, all of my coaches, is that everybody feels like, is it just me? And part of that is because we've been on Zoom, we've been remote, we've been hunkered down, et cetera. And part of it is that we weren't great about swapping notes as working no. parents even before. And so there's on top of everything else that we're dealing with, there's a sense of why am I sort of, you know, why am I the remedial kid somehow here? <laughs> yeah. And that's not a great place to be. I, I just, I want to reassure every single person who's listening. It's not just you. Everybody is grappling with 
all the same issues that you are. They may not be talking about them or as open about them, but they are with me. And I can assure you that you're not alone. And can we talk a little bit about what you're seeing on the employer side? Because I got to think, we used to do the Working Mother 100 Best Companies. And so I know there are 100 companies and plus the others who would try and not make the list, but cared, that care deeply about these issues. And I always, you know, I always had great love for those companies that, you know, at least, at least you're trying. Not everyone succeeded, but at least you're trying. With the companies that are thinking ahead or thinking about it right now, what are they thinking or what should they be thinking about in this moment of transition that we're in? I see a tremendous amount of goodwill. And I talk to a lot of leaders and managers who say, I understand what happened. Maybe I'm, maybe they're working parents themselves, maybe not, but they grasp the impact but they're not certain what the playbook is for the future. How do we support people? And this is where I think we can make a really powerful and not that hard and not that expensive pivot that can really work. So historically, when organizations have thought about what can we do for working parents, they thought in terms of policies and programs. So how long is parental leave? Yeah. You know, can people have a four day a week work arrangement? Is there a mentoring program that can help new parents? Those are all in the policy and program bucket. And I'm not in any way dismissing those things. Right. They're, they're essential. They're powerful. Everybody needs them. But the thing that we gave a little bit short shrift to, in my view, is the kind of the third leg of the stool policies programs is then practices. And practices are the little things that you won't find in the employee handbook that won't, you know, show up on a, you know, on the intranet if you're an employee the things that really affect our day to day. It's how your manager talks to you about some of your, you know, outside the office obligations. It's, you know, the raised eyebrow that you get or don't get mm -hmm. when you say, I need to run to the pediatricians. It's, you know, the way in which people, when they do come back from parental leave, for example, are welcomed back to the office. It's those things that are really small, but that speak to our day to day experience, heavily informed by our managers but also by other people around us. And if we can make a shift on those practices, it's going to have enormous impact. If you went to the same employer and the policies and the programs didn't change or didn't change much, but if you knew you could speak openly with, you know, with managers, colleagues about what you had going on, if you knew that there were other people in the organization who were willing to swap notes with you as a working parent and give you some advice, if you knew that day in, day out, there would just be a little bit less of the friction or the headwind that you are concerned about getting or have felt before, that is going to be a huge lift. And I think that's where we need to concentrate some of our energies in all three buckets, but particularly yeah, yeah. in this one. Definitely. I could not agree more. You are so right. And I've always thought about it because when I would get mad about these things, about uh, programs and policies is that there would be, in practice, there would be a lack of accountability. Now I'm thinking of people who just would not do the programs at all. And then there'd be a lack of accountability by the higher-ups to say, well, but that manager's department is doing well, so we don't want to, if he's not going to follow like the flexible work policy, well, we're not, it, it, like, oh, it just would make me so mad. Even less so, but as important, is just, you know, it's just supporting the managers. I, I, I've often thought that's the weak spot. You've got to, like when people go out on maternity leave, if you don't give managers the supports they need to have a fill-in replacement or give them 
tools on how to help people leave and come back from maternity leave, then every employee announcing that they're going to go on maternity or paternity or adoptive leave is a stress point instead of an opportunity for another employee to have a stretch assignment and try out something and shift, you know, it's an opportunity, not necessarily just a challenge. It's just, it's so, but you make these poor managers have to deal with change without supporting them. And then you get, you know, then employees get mad because the, the managers aren't implementing the policies and programs. It just is a vicious cycle. It is. And so when I speak to senior leaders, I encourage them to think about managers as being the field force in helping to solve or make progress on this problem. And one example, when people say, oh, I I think I, you know, they know what to do or they're smart enough, they'll figure this out or whatever. Many are, but I know, but a lot of people struggle with this. So the, the question I always ask or the kind of the, the nudge I give people sometimes is, if somebody came into your office right now and said that they're expecting, would you know what to say to be supportive, to be in line, right? To be appropriate yeah. and to strike exactly the right tone with that person no. who's, prob- who's probably <laughs> apprehensive. Listen, and that's, and that's what most of us wouldn't, right? I mean, because this is not something, no matter how many, you know, how in depth your education or your mentoring or your training, this probably just wasn't a subject that anybody covered with you. But at the same time, it's scriptable. There is a playbook for it. You can, as yeah. a manager, know to say, I am delighted for you. I, you know, that is absolutely wonderful news. And we're not going to talk about the details of your leave or who's going to cover for you right now. We'll figure that all we'll out. We'll come to that next. You know, exactly. Yeah. This is a human conversation. And just know that I'm, <laughs> I'm really, really happy for you. And then it wouldn't it be nice if the manager knows I have a support team behind me. You know, like I know that we can have this conversation separately and that I won't be left out in the cold without. I, I mean, I went through a phase after the Great Recession where I had a team of eight and I had six pregnancies back to back. And it took so long. The first one had a second baby and it just got to be the thing. And we had and I had no this is me whining now. I had no support from HR by the time the like the fourth, fifth and sixth ones came, I had navigated and figured out how I could get replacements in. But in the first one, they literally told me, no, I couldn't replace the person. That's not a way to support. My face to the employee was, of course, I'm, I love babies, bring on the babies. But it was so stressful in my head. And so I had to figure it out because they didn't tell me the actual support system. And that was Bonnier. I would like to put that out there. That was not a way to support your managers. But yes, six babies post-recession. Yeah, of of, of course. Of course, so many managers are also um, stepping into the new normal, like all the rest of us. Yes. Inside very small businesses or organizations where there may not be programs or policies really too much to speak of or, or some of those institutional supports. And that's where I think some of these practices, the, uh, we don't have a policy Mm -hmm. for this, but you and I are going to be collaborative partners in figuring it out. That's where I think this third leg of the stool in some ways can be the most important. important. So important. Well, so uh, with uh, your new book is out now. Can people get it? Can we link to it and and uh, get it get it in people's hands? It is. I'm happy to say that it published yesterday Yay! after many years of work. <laughs> uh, so it is out um, and available. And I'll just add one thing that I think is important about the book. Um, I, I'm going to come back to my 52 million here. 
is that, you know, working parents come, and I, I'm just a really firm believer in this, working parents come in every possible package, right? Male, female, biological, adoptive, all different fields and functions, young kids, older kids, etc. And a, a lot of this book is based around my experience coaching working parents, but a lot of the advice and many of the direct quotes and voices in the book are from parents living this just like you real time. And they're from as sort of broad and diverse, uh, you know, a group that I could go out and research and speak to. So I say that because I think it's just really important. The more that we all talk as working parents, the more that we can say, okay, I, you know, I'm new at this or I have a question here. If you can talk to people who maybe have had quite a different experience than you, it can be tremendously helpful. It can give you insights and perspective that you haven't had. And that's one of the things I, I really tried to do in writing this book. I love it. May you link all 52 million of us together. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's, I'm going to try. That's what we're trying, sir. Well, thank you so much for joining us on The Breadwinners. Our guest today was Daisy Dowling, and you will find a link to her and also Work Parent, the book, in the episode description. You can email us anytime at thebreadwinnerspod at gmail.com or visit us at thebreadwinnerspodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review it. It really helps us grow. And until next week, keep hustling. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's Voices Amplified.